So, I want to start this morning by asking you a question. I want you to think about something for me. Because, like Pastor Dave said, Romans is a really heavy book, and sometimes it can, it can weigh down on us, the things that we read in there. So I want us to have a bit of light-hearted thinking. And I want you to think about what you are doing this year. Because we're two weeks into January, and I'm sure some of you made New Year's resolutions about things that you wanted to do this year. So what is it that you are doing? So me, anyone like to crochet in here? Any knitters? Yep, one knitter, we've got one knitter. Um, I want to do crocheting this year. I want to be more creative and I want to do crocheting. But truth be told, I've actually already given up on that resolution because crocheting is a lot harder than it looks. And you might be a bit like me as well. You might also have given up on the things that you wanted to do this year. And you might be searching for the next thing to add to your list of things that you want to do. But now I want you to think about something else. We've thought about what we want to do, we've thought about what we're doing, but I want you to think about what you are offering rather than what you are doing. What are you offering this year? And I know some of you, when I said that, will have thought, I'm offering money to the church. Now I don't mean, are you offering money to the church? I mean, what are you yourself offering? That question's a little bit harder to answer, isn't it? Because we don't tend to think about what we have to offer. I know I definitely don't think about what I have to offer. I don't think I really have much to offer, to be honest, especially what I could offer to other people. And our world doesn't really help either, because in the world and society, we're very focused on what I can do, what I can achieve to be the best version of myself. And with the start of the new year, that's often the case, isn't it? How many people at the start of the new year say, new year, new me? That phrase gets thrown around quite a lot. And the pressure mounts to start doing a new hobby or doing a new workout routine or doing a new reading plan of the Bible. And setting our minds on things to do and what we want to achieve is not a bad thing. I'm not trying to give you an excuse to give up on the things that you want to do this year. But when it comes to God, and when it comes to our faith, and being a Christian, it really isn't about what you do. It's about what you can offer. So we're gonna unpack this a little bit more as we look at Romans 6, 1 to 14. But first, we're gonna look at the chapters a bit before that so we can get a good grasp on what we're reading and whereabouts we are in the book of Romans because obviously, We've been doing a sermon series on James, and Romans has kind of come out of nowhere, so I'm going to catch up to speed a little bit. So Paul's main focus in the chapters leading up to our passage is on the idea of justification by faith rather than the works or law. Now, if I'm being completely honest, when I first read through the book of Romans a few years ago, I thought, what on earth does that mean? What is justification by faith? What does it mean to be justified by our faith? Well, we see Paul explain this in Romans 1.18, right the way through to 3.20, where he emphasizes that all of humanity has rebelled against God because of sin, and because of that, we're unable to do anything. We're unable to do anything in order to save ourselves from God's judgment. But because of the grace of God shown to us in sacrificing his son, Jesus, Humanity has been rescued from the wages of sin. And when we have faith, 
And when we really, really believe that to be true, we are made righteous in the sight of God. This being made right with God, it can't be obtained by anything we do or have done, but only by what God has done in the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. So this is where we get to Romans 6. Now in verse 1, Paul asks the question, great, does this mean that because it's nothing I can do, that means I can keep sinning so that the grace of God may increase? And then he immediately answers, absolutely not. Just because our being saved and made righteous in the sight of God is not because of anything we do. It doesn't give us an excuse to keep on living in sinfulness. Because as Paul says in verse 2, we are those who have died to sin. So how can we continue to live in the power of that sin? What does that mean though? What does it mean to die to sin? Now we know Christ died for our sins, but how does that mean that we've also died to sin? Now this is what Paul goes on to explain in the next few verses. He says that if we've been baptized into Christ, then we've also been baptized into death. Now, I'm a theology student, so when I look at these things, I think, why on earth is Paul mentioning baptism? And some people think the baptism mentioned here is baptism in the spirit. Some people think it's a water baptism. That's not why Paul mentions it. Paul doesn't mention baptism so we can get hung up on the details of what that baptism is. Paul mentions baptism to signify the conversion of believers, since baptism for the Roman Christians was the universal initiation into Christ and a sign of their belief in him. So for Paul to refer to those who are baptized is his way of describing people who are Christians and have put their faith in Jesus, like you and me. This baptism, a sign of our incorporation into Christ, involves a union in which we are united to him in his death and burial so that we can be raised from the dead just as he was through the glory of the Father and into a newness of life. We have this great hope. We have this great assurance of new life with God in Christ because we are united with him in death and burial and also in resurrection too. Because we've been united with him in his death to sin, which was a death for our sin. That means, as Paul says in verse 6, our old self, our old sinful self that was in Adam has been crucified so that the whole sin has over us can be done away with for good. Gone. Freeing us from the slavery of our sin. Again, that's something that is only possible because of what Christ has done. By the time we get to verse 11... Paul is pausing and giving us time to consider all of the facts that he's presented before us. We are united to Christ. We are dead to the powers of sin, and we're alive to the power of God in Christ Jesus. So, we've seen how our uniting to Christ isn't a union that comes about through anything we've done. I think we know by now that it's not by anything we do. And like I said before, it's not about what we do. It's about what we offer. So, what do we offer? Well, it's easy to fall into a woe is me moment when reading about the sinfulness of humanity and how nothing we can do will ever save us. When I really think about it, I think, oh, woe is me. 
look at me, look how sinful I am. What is there that I can offer to God? What is there that we can offer to God? Well, as Paul says in verse 13, we can offer ourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. That's great, Paul, but what does that mean? Well, an instrument, by definition, is a tool or an implement used for a specific purpose. By itself, it's pretty useless. Jeff's guitar, by itself, lovely, but pretty useless until Jeff picks it up and starts playing it. An instrument is useless unless it has someone to use it for its intended purpose. And righteousness, as we know, is a right standing with God. So offering your whole self as an instrument of righteousness means to give yourself over to God because you believe in Christ and recognize that you have the ability to live a new life, a life that is holy and devoted to standing right with God so that he may use you for a specific purpose that glorifies and honors him. That is what we have to offer. And that is what God wants. God wants us to offer ourselves. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. And we need to offer ourselves to him instead of being so focused on what we're doing, especially in church. Because we're often so quick to look at the doing of other people and not the offering of ourselves. We're so quick to see what other people do or don't do, who comes to church one week and who doesn't come to church the next week, who gives their time and volunteers and who doesn't do that at all. And like at the start with our personal resolutions, I'm not trying to suggest that these things aren't important because they are so, so important. But that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is saying that because of all that God has done for us, because of his gracious act in sending his son to die for us, because of our union with Christ and the promise that we have of new life in him, we should, in light of all of that, be offering every single part of ourselves That means mind, body, soul, spirit, and most importantly, our hearts. Offering is not a one-time thing. You might think it is. You offer something once and that's it. But offering is a continuous action that should be made a habit that we make. And it's also a choice that we have to make. We have a choice on whether we offer ourselves to God for him to use for his purpose and his plans, or whether we don't do that. An offering can feel like a really hard thing to do at times. I can stand up here and say I found it really hard to offer myself up to God. And it can feel really hard when the world is hectic and busy and life just is coming at you all at once. You might feel like You've given everything to everything else and you have nothing left inside you to offer to God. Maybe you feel like you have nothing to offer to God because your sin is just so great. Why would God want anything that you have to offer, right? Maybe you really relate to Paul's woe is me moment. He has a bit of a woe is me moment in chapter 7 and he says... 
I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil I want to do. That's what I keep doing. And if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's the sin that's living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there within me. That might be you. You might be like Paul. You might recognize that your sin should be dead, as we've read in chapter 6, but really, it feels like your sin is just so alive within you. Paul wants to offer himself as a righteous and good man of the Lord, but he realizes that evil and sin is just right there within him. So what can he offer? And if that's how you feel, what can you offer? Honestly, the best thing you can offer when you feel like you have nothing left to give, when you feel like you have nothing else that you can bring to the Lord, you can offer him your heart. Because just like offering our bodies to him as an instrument of righteousness is a continuous thing, bringing him our hearts continuously, that's what's really important. And that's all that he really wants at the end of the day. He wants us to keep coming back to him. Even in those moments where it's difficult and it's painful and we really feel like we can't, he wants us to keep coming back to him and offering him our hearts because that's what pleases him. An offering is something that is pleasing to the Lord. And we're still his children. We're still united to him. We're still invited into new life because it's not what we do that pleases him, but it's what we have to offer. So I want to finish by asking you to really think this year, not about the things that you're doing, but about what you're offering to the Lord.